0: The book of Ephesians, chapter 2. The book of Ephesians, as I've been talking on Sunday morning, is uh, considered by some the deepest book in the New Testament. That's why sometimes when you get to the first part of it, you start to sink because there are so many terms and definitions that, uh, that need to be added to those terms. We're still in chapter 2. We're beginning today with verse number 12. We're talking today about before and after Christ. Before Christ is, uh, Paul says, I want you to remember how it used to be in your life. I've heard many people say, you know, that refer to their former life as simply that, their former life. In verse number 12, he says, at that time, you were without Christ. I'd like to ask you to underline those two words, without Christ, because that's the way that Paul describes a person who has not accepted Jesus as yet, without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There is no hope, uh, and they are without God if they're without Christ but now in Christ Jesus and that's the next two words to underline in Christ Paul says listen I want you to remember what you were before you met Christ and now you're in Christ you he once who were once far off have been brought near by the blood now who's he talking about here well you know whenever we read these, this passage in our world we think well he's talking about us and that is true But in the original context of this, he's talking about the Gentile nations. Uh, Ephesus was a Roman, very famous Roman city. And most of the converts in Ephesus were Gentile people. And back in that world, there was a tremendous division, as we'll see in a minute, between Jew and Gentile. It was like the world was broken down into those two categories. And so Paul is saying, listen, I know that when I'm speaking to the Ephesian Christians, I'm speaking to Mostly Gentile people. And I know where you were. And I just want you to remember where you were here. Uh, in verse 13. But now in Christ you have, were once far off. Have been brought near by the blood. You were outsiders. For he himself is our peace. Who has made both one. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. Uh, in our world. Uh, races. Of People are separated by all sorts of things. And uh, when Christ comes on the scene, he begins to tear those things down because he doesn't want us to see people just on the surface. He wants us to see people as God's creation, uh, as people that he loves equally across the board. And that's hard for us to do, isn't it? For he himself is our peace, and he's, he's made both of those groups, Jews and Gentiles, one people, He's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity of the warfare. There was always war going on here. Uh, Just remember the woman at the well, remember? Uh, Jesus said, listen, I have to go through Samaria, and his disciples cringed. Why would you do that? Why would you have any contact with anybody who wasn't a full-blooded Jewish person? Uh, Jesus said, listen, I'm I'm here to break down the barriers. I'm here to show that I love the whole world, not just part of it. He's abolished in the flesh this warfare that is is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Uh, The Lord brings together these two divisions of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. They come together in one group, the church. They sit together, they worship God, they're at the cross together. And so therefore that enmity and that hatred and antagonism and all that is gone. One new man. Second Corinthians 5.17, you know what it says. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold all things are become new. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, again, the, this warfare. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Not only did the Gentiles need peace in their life, but the people who thought that they were near to God, they needed a lot of peace in their life. Sometimes when people think they're close to God, they aren't very close to God. they even though they may be close in proximity, they're not close in reality. For through him we both have access. See the word both there, Jews and Gentiles. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and the saints, with the saints and members of the household of God. And having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together as the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The Lord is in the business today of creating a dwelling place. And to be sure, of course, it is the church, but uh, to be even more sure than that, it is the temple of God, your body. Uh, God's church not only meets together on Sunday, but it meets together wherever you show up, wherever you arrive. When you go to work, God is with you. God is ministering to the people around you through you. You are the temple of God. The Bible says, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, which is the Lord's. Now, before and after Christ. uh, I want to encourage you today Uh, to go home and read Acts chapter 19. Because it was in Acts chapter 19, Paul, in one of his missionary journeys, went to Ephesus. Ephesus, by the way, was one of the chief cities of the Roman Empire. Uh, There was uh, Alexandria, there was Antioch, there was Corinth, and of course there was Rome. But Ephesus was spoken of in the same way that all of those other cities were spoken. Uh, It was one of the chief cities. It attracted a lot of tourists to the goddess Diana. Uh, It was a mecca of tourism where people came to worship Diana. Whenever Paul was there in Ephesus for several years, he was preaching, and his preaching was very successful. And, you you know, when your preaching becomes successful, that's when trouble breaks out. Do you know that? Uh, If you're not very successful as a Christian, there's not a lot of trouble going on, but once you become successful, as Paul did, all sorts of trouble broke out. Uh, People started to come to Christ, and what they did is it affected the local economy, not positively, but negatively, because Ephesus was a mecca of idol worship, and they made, many of the people there were into making religious trinkets and symbols and all sorts of things like that and people would come and people would buy those things and take them back home but whenever many people began to accept Jesus as their savior they stopped buying these religious artifacts they started, stopped buying these things that people were making there and you know when uh, Christianity affects the economy in that way trouble breaks out and that's what happened uh, they nearly took the life of Paul Uh, because he was so successful preaching Christ. Uh, At one time, he says, look at verse number 11. The first two words up there, verse 11, says, therefore, remember. What is he asking them to remember? He's asking them to remember their life before Christ. Uh, He says, you are outsiders. See, in the Old Testament, there were outsiders and insiders. The outside, outsiders they were the Gentile world. The insiders were the Jewish people, God's chosen nation. And he says, I want you to remember, you Gentile believers here in Ephesus, who have just accepted Christ as your Savior, you were an outsider at one time. Don't ever forget that. You know, And, and even though that doesn't exactly speak to you and me today, it does. Because before Christ, aren't we outsiders too from the blessings of God? We are people really out there. And Paul says, listen, I want you to remember that because you know what happens to Christians? We come together and we study the Bible and we read the Bible and we get, just like the ancient Jews got, pride sets in. And we begin to think, hey, we're the people of God. We know what we're doing. Uh, we've got, uh, we know, and, and, and you know, the Bible says pride goes before destruction, doesn't it? a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, remember where we came from. Remember there was a time in your life that you weren't always too comfortable in church. Remember there was a time in your life that you didn't know all about what a church was all about at all. He says, I want you to remember that. When you were without Christ. You know, being without Christ co- conjures up all sorts of things in my mind, uh, especially related to our situation in in America today our people are very upset in this country don't you think Uh, there are more things to be upset than you have ability to be upset at in this country right now and uh, a person outside of Christ really I don't think has a clue how to handle that but we do because we have Christ in our heart and he gives us a peace that cannot be explained in human terms Uh, For instance, remember when Jesus was coming preaching, he says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and lowly and you'll find rest to your soul. Uh, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Soul rest, that's what we have. Uh, You know, in the midst of all the turmoil of America, you know, America is upset now. Everybody's fighting on all sides. Uh, but uh, we have something inside of us that calms our spirit in the midst of this. We have Proverbs 21.1. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turns it, whithersoever he will. These rulers in Washington, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Daniel 2.21 says he removes kings and sets up kings. I'd like to remove a few kings, but that's God's business. And uh, it's good for me to know that uh, there's really little that I can do about all these situations that are going on. I can do, I can take my place and I can be a responsible Christian. I can vote, I can pray, and those are the two things I'm doing with all my heart. Uh, but, you know, verse number 12, let's go back there and let's look at what uh, Paul was talking to the Gentiles about here that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were excluded from the nation of Israel without the advantage of citizenship in Israel. Now, we don't think about this in America because we're so many miles removed from the Holy Land and we're so many years removed from the Holy Land. But Paul is saying, listen, you were without the advantage of being a Jewish person. You know, some people are born with advantages and some are born with disadvantages. You know that? And I think if we kind of could like have just an old-fashioned testimony meeting in our church today, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I think there are people in this church who would stand and say, you know, I was born with a great advantage and they would give us reasons why. And there are probably quite a few people in our church today who would say, you know, I was born with a great disadvantage and these are all the reasons that I was disadvantaged and that's what Paul is trying to say here remember Gentiles you didn't have the advantages of being born in a Jewish home Uh, today there are people AIDS babies and crack babies and all sorts of people born with disadvantage Uh, Paul said something real neat about the advantages. Let's look at it, Romans 3.1. Let's read this together, okay? What advantage then has the Jew? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. What does that mean? That means the revelation of God in the Holy Scriptures. Now... Paul says to the Roman Christians, listen, it really is an advantage to be a Jewish person in the world because they are God's chosen nation. They are God's chosen people. And he says, if you take all the advantages that Jewish people have, let's put right at the top, God committed to them his revelation, the revelation of who God is, the revelation of what God wants people to do. Now, isn't that an advantage? It really is. Because you just consider the whole Gentile world out there, they didn't have a clue what to do. They didn't have this advantage. And so they were essentially winging it. And you know, when people wing it, they usually don't go in the right direction. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. And there are people everywhere that don't have this advantage. They don't have God's revelation of himself and what he wants people to do. Boy, that's precious, you know that? What an advantage. And so these people that Paul is talking about here have come into the family of God. And they have been united with the people of advantage. And so they all have an advantage now. Uh, They're oracles of God. Would well, they really help us if we listen to them. You know that? They really make life less difficult in one sense if we listen to them. Because I tell people all the time, God will never lead you in the wrong way. Every time you ask him and every time you see his word and read it, he always takes you in the right direction. It's incredible. And you know what that does? That causes less pain in your life. Because when you go the wrong direction, you have to pay the price of that. There's always a price to be paid. Whenever you break the commandments of God, there's always a price to be paid. But if you obey the commandments of God, there's always a blessing to be had. Uh, And it is so good to know that your conscience is clear before God. To know that God is leading you in the right direction. You know, we don't have a whole lot of time to live our life in this world. And I'll tell you, we want to do it to the best of our ability and have God's blessing on our life. Amen? Man, I, I want God's blessing on your life as this congregation. I want bless God to bless your family. I want God to bless your children and your grandchildren. Uh, and uh, that's what he wants to do. Let me give you an illustration of uh, the oracles of God. Let's, uh, we have, uh, let's see, Proverbs 22.6. Let's read this together. This is an example, okay? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is an advantage that the Jews had. Because remember, in the Gentile world, they didn't have this. They didn't really know what to do to help their kids turn out right. They had no spiritual direction from God Almighty, the creator of the universe and the creator of, of men and women, train up a child. The word train means to dedicate, to set him in the right direction. You know, when kids come into the world, it doesn't take them long to get going in the wrong direction, does it? I like that ad on television, you know, and I don't know whether it says, listen, you've got to start talking, young, talking to your kids young about drugs, and I don't know whether it's uh, cigarettes or drugs or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, you're saying, you're going, yeah, talk to them while, while they're young, and then all of a sudden you see this little baby sitting in his high chair. And the moral of the story is you can't start early enough talking to your kids about the issues, set them in the right direction. And so uh, the word uh, train there means to dedicate the child to God. Does that make an advantage? It doesn't make any advantage unless the parents are dedicated to God and you know I can't tell you how many people in our church that we've had come and do the little dedication service that we have up here and everybody says this is really wonderful we're going on record to raise our kids for Christ that has I guess essentially no value unless the parents are dedicated to the proposition because it's the parents job to to dedicate their kid to Christ and then to turn them in the right direction and teach them all along the way. And I know that there are many people through the years that have said, you know, I I did the very best I could at training my kid, but now look at them. They're teenagers. Look at them. And people get discouraged, and they go to this verse, and they say, wow, what went wrong? And let me say this about that verse, okay, because some people... Take that wrongly, I think. A proverb is a general truth. And a general truth can be shortcutted, short circuited by a person's own desire and free will. You know, you can pray for the unity of your marriage and it can still explode. You can pray for the unity of the church, it can explode. Uh, You can pray that God will help you, your child, to live for Christ. But there is this thing that God has created in everybody, and that's called free will. God doesn't believe for a person, and he doesn't force his beliefs on that person. And the, the, the encouragement that I get from this verse is this. It is, I simply must do what God tells me to do, and the rest has to be left up to him. I can't make something happen. I've tried that, let me tell you, I'm not good at it. I'm a type A personality and that, my wife says people like that were created to push people around. I think she was primarily thinking of herself. (laughs) But you know, I'm I'm a tired type A personality I'm like the old preacher that was sitting down by the railroad track, and they always wondered what he was up to. Every day he went down by the railroad track and just watched the train, like that. Some, one time they got enough courage to ask him what he was doing. He says, I'm just enjoying watching the train. It's the only thing in town I don't have to push. That's me. Uh, I'll tell you, th- having that verse alone is an advantage, don't you think? Dedicating your child to the Lord, then following with and trying to help him throughout the whole, his whole life. Uh, that's our responsibility. It's his responsibility or her responsibility whether they respond to that teaching and training. But uh, more chances than not, they will. Because, you know, it's so wonderful to see all of the kids we have around this church on Wednesday night. Can I have an Amen. Some of you to workers are tired. You're blurry-eyed. From fifth grade down, we had like 95 of them. You know, Can you imagine that? Put all them in line and think of that. Uh, all these kids we have around our church on Wednesday night, that's a privilege and that's a blessing because what we're doing is we're adding to what the, we hopefully their parents are giving them. We're reinforcing what their parents are giving them because we don't live in the America of the 1950s. We live in a completely different society today. We, have, we live in a society where people call right wrong and wrong right, and they actually believe it. And so the, the, the greatest thing that we could do in our church is to train up our children in the way they should go. Amen? And that's what we're doing with all of our heart and with all of our might. And That's what we're doing a Straight Street over there in library, and that's what we're doing with our jams program here at the church. We're, we're doing the very best we can do. Because one of these days, even if they might get a little haywire in their life, uh, we put some pretty good things in their heart to know where they can find the answer for the rest of their life. Uh, Verse number 13 says, But now in Christ you who were once far off were made, brought near by the blood of Christ. You Gentiles that had essentially no life are now in Christ. We, the outsiders, now have become insiders. Uh, But you know, the interesting thing about this is that you would think at this point that there are the Jewish people and they are really into God, right? Wrong. They are near in proximity, but not near in heart. Look down at verse number 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who are near The Jews and the Gentiles, the people far off, and the Jews who were near, they all needed peace. And so I think the application is this. You know, people can come to church, and they can come to a church like this, and they can sit with their Bible in their hand, and they can affirm uh, in their heart that what is being said in our church and done in our church is right, and it's from God, but they can sit there with no peace in their heart. Because they haven't come to the place of peace with God. And so, and so verse number 17 says, listen, not only did the Gentiles need peace, but the religious people needed peace too. Uh, they were without peace. And you know, peace is one of the greatest things in all the world. Verse number 14 says, for he himself is our peace. And... Uh, who made both one, he brought these people together. He broke down the middle wall of separation. You know what that is? I think some of you have heard about that. In the Jewish temple during the time of Christ, uh, they had uh, different courts where people could go and they could worship God. Remember the Bible says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all what? Nations, okay? And so that's exactly the way God designed it. And he made these different courts. There was the court of the Gentiles in the temple. There was the court of the women. There was the court of the Israelites. There was the court of the priests. And there was the holy place itself. Well, the furthest court away from the inside was the Gentile court. And Gentiles were allowed to come there, and they were allowed to worship, but they couldn't get past that. Somebody erected a sign, a barrier. A barrier in the court of the Gentiles, and Josephus, the Jewish historian, told us what this barrier said. Now listen to this. On that barrier, written in Greek and Latin, it said this, No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. The Gentile was not only going to be kicked out, he was going to be taken out. And so and so when Christ came, that barrier for that Gentile that, that blinked in neon lights, keep out, stay away from our God. You can only come so far. In the year 70 AD, in the year 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, came from Rome and destroyed the temple. God said to them, listen, I'll show you. You put up a sign to say keep out from me, I'll tear the temple down. Isn't that good? I'll tear the temple down. There won't be any more sign. Because remember when Jesus died on the cross, uh, there was that veil in the temple and that was another sign from God. And when Jesus died, that veil that There was a picture of keeping people out and keeping God in, was torn from the top to the bottom. That's what God wants. Uh, He wants people to come into his presence. And, you know, that's the thing that really got Paul in trouble and was really the the precursor of the writing of the book of Ephesians. Remember, Paul is under house arrest in Rome in Acts chapter 28. And he's there because he was arrested. Now listen to this. He was arrested... In Acts 21, and they thought that that he had taken Gentiles. Now, this is interesting. They thought that he had brought Gentiles into the temple and jumped over the barrier, (laughs) over the barrier, and taken them further into into the temple of God. And so, therefore, they arrested him. Well, here in verse number 15, let's look further. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments. Uh, not only did he tear down this barrier, but he also abolished the law. What, what part of the law? The ceremonial law. This is, this is why we don't offer sacrifices today. This is why we don't go to a temple or a synagogue and offer any bloody sacrifices because they were pictures of the coming of Christ, and they were pictures of Christ to come. Now we don't have to paint a picture, we have the reality of it. And so this law was done away with, and in verse 15 it says, uh, He created to Himself one new man from two, and I have written in the margin of my, my Bible, one new race. God doesn't look at us today as Jews and Gentiles and different designations. He just looks at us when we come to Christ as Christians, that's all you know it doesn't make any difference where you travel around this world and some a few of our people have gone on mission trips and uh... whenever you go to a foreign land you know the culture is different the people are different and everything is different but you get in a church it's the same it's the same one new people that was God's goal one new people uh, and they, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't, like, go under the banner of Jew and Gentile. They went under the banner of Christian. Uh, it's really nice. And uh, that, was, that was the Lord's goal here. Let's look further. Way down in verse number 21. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There was one new man, and there was one new body, and the body was the church the Lord is building his church today from Jew and Gentile and uh, when people come into our church we don't reach out and say okay now what race do you come from or uh, what's your uh, national heritage or what country are, you, are your ancestors from we don't, we don't do that the Bible says there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither bond or free there is neither male nor female for we are all one in Christ uh, we are blinded toward those things uh, and last but not least, uh, we have one new access to God. Uh, verse number 18. For through him we have one access by one spirit to the Father. And I want you to notice there in verse number 18, that's the Trinity. For through him, that's Christ, we both have access by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father, and that's God the Father. Uh, everybody has access to God. Uh, and we have that access through Christ. When we come together in the church, there is no one left out. We are all on equal ground. Uh, you can meet the Lord here in our church. You can meet the Lord wherever you are throughout the day to today because of 1 Timothy 2.5. It says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I know that many of you have run into lots of people you call friends and they are your friends. And, and they say, you know, we... We like God, but we don't want anything to do with Jesus. I, I want you to try to help them with that. That won't work. You know, it seems like it should work, but not according to the teaching of the Bible. Uh, you, you heard people say, well, you know, we all believe in the same God. How many people have ever heard that statement? We hear that all the time. Everybody believes in the same God. That's not true. Uh, there is only one true God. And listen to this. There's only one true way to God. And a person can never come to God by circumventing Jesus, by trying to cut Jesus out of the picture, because he is God's way to himself. Uh, the Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except he comes through me. Uh, the way of the cross is the only way to God. And so there are people out there, and they're, and they're good hearted people, and they're nice people, but they're wrong. Uh, when they try to cut Jesus out of the picture, because God sent His Son Jesus down into, into the world to bridge the gap, uh, to be the cross across the chasm so that people could reach God. And, he, and, and in effect, what God says is how you treat my Son is how you treat me. If you accept my Son as your Savior, you're in. If you don't, you're out. You're out. How you treat my son is how you treat me. He who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. And so, when somebody says to you, Listen, you know, we're all believing in the same God, and I like God, but, you know, I'm not into this Jesus thing, try to help them. You have to get into Jesus. He is God's way to heaven. Uh, And through faith in him, we can have the free gift of eternal life. Let's bow our heads in prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed today uh, Paul is talking about outsiders and insiders an outsider is somebody that uh, is without God and without hope and that's a scary situation but that's what we all were before we came to Christ we may have been religious, we may have been good but no one is good enough and no one is religious enough Um, salvation is based on faith, not goodness or religion or anything like that. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm an outsider. I know where I am. I'm not on the inside, but I want to be. Of course, I I know you do. Uh, Humble your heart before the Lord and admit your condition today. Admit that your sin has separated you from God. And repent of that sin. And that means turn away and turn in faith to Christ. And ask him to forgive you. And I'll tell you what, he, that's his business. He forgives people of their sin. And become an insider and begin to enjoy the tremendous blessings of, of, of what it means to be a Christian. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you today for your word. Even though uh, we are a long way removed from the writing of this, it is still so applicable to us today. Uh, In our church, we have uh, people far away and people near. I pray that all of them will come to you today that are far away in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song today. If you'd like to come to the altar this morning to pray about something going on in your life or the life of a friend, you feel free to do that right now as we sing together. Just let God move on your heart. Princes and paupers.